Hey everyone, welcome to this week's episode of Lunch Therapy. I'm Adam Roberts, your host, and my delightful husband, Craig, is currently in New York, although I'm recording this before um, I air this. So in actuality, now Craig and I are in Japan. So I um, wanted to make sure I didn't leave you hanging while we were on vacation, which is why I recorded this podcast um, ahead of our departure. And today's guest is one of my favorite uh, new friends that I've made, uh, Ben Mims. He just moved here from New York with his partner, Jay. And Ben is an extraordinarily accomplished food writer. Um, he's written for Lucky Peach, Food and Wine, Savour, uh, BuzzFeed, but he's currently the cooking columnist for the Los Angeles Times. And when I spoke to him, he was in the middle of unveiling all of the cookie recipes that he'd developed for Christmas. And this is a really fun conversation, so I'm not going to hold it up. We're just going to get right to it. But before I do, I just want to remind you, if you haven't subscribed already, you can subscribe to this podcast by going into iTunes, um, or actually Apple Podcasts is what it's called now. Just type in Lunch Therapy, click subscribe, and while you're there, hey, give us a good review. It's the holidays, or I guess you're listening to this after the holidays, but it's almost New Year's for you, so... What a great way to kick off the new year. Um, well, I hope you're all doing well and that you had good um, Christmas, Hanukkah, or whatever you celebrate dinners, and that you have great New Year's plans. I want to thank you all for all your support with this podcast in 2019, and there's lots of great stuff in store for 2020. So without further ado, here is my interview with Ben Mims. <laughs> All right, Ben. Well, thank you so much for coming. Of course. Thank you for having me. And you're like in the middle of right now of like cookie craziness. Cookie craziness, cookie promoting craziness. Yeah. I spent probably August, September, and October uh, cooking baking all the cookies and then November we were shooting them and planning and now it's like kind of the rollout. So I think we're on the fifth day of cookies right now and have seven more to go. And And you made how many, how many cookies did you come up with? 12. 12. But how many did you test and try and like, Oh God, I probably made each cookie at least the ones that worked out perfectly (coughs) four times. Okay. The ones that did not work out perfectly. Probably. I think the most I did was like seven. And then I had an assistant of ours bake them all herself after I thought they were perfect and then fix them more to her notes as well. So they've been cross-tested at least once. So we should say, just in case people don't read the little thing underneath this podcast, because it will tell everyone who you are, but you are a recipe editor. You're the cooking columnist Cooking columnist for the Los Angeles Times. You're an accomplished cookbook author and food personality, would you say? (laughs) But I think what's cool about like, even hearing just that is like, people don't realize the work that goes into these recipes that are in the newspaper. Um, And so how, like, do you feel like in the age of the internet with, people like me who had food blogs uh-huh, uh-huh. who just like throw something up there. Like <laughs> why or how do you think about like the criteria that goes into a recipe that gets published? Like what, yeah. do, you, what do you want it to be before you want it to be perfect? I imagine. Yeah. I mean, cause I, you know, I know that if people make it, the worst thing for me is for it, for them to be like, Oh, it did not work mm-hmm. or like, you know, more than if it didn't taste good or not. So I always like to at least triple check and also have someone who is, no, is in food, but like completely not my, um, that we don't have the same taste and it comes to food or mm-hmm. like the way we cook or bake or whatever, because I want to see how they will take my recipe and like, Oh, you didn't say to do this, or you're assuming that I have this, but like, I don't have that. Or could you try doing it without this piece of equipment? So making, and 
I used to think that, oh, that just means you're dumbing down something, yeah. but not really. It's more just like, okay, how can we get the most amount of people? Yeah, I'm going to take Winston's to collar off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like ringing the bells. He's got a little itch. It's okay. Yeah. I understand. It's too itchy. Um, <laughs> sometimes you hear that in the background of my podcast. Oh, but it's interesting because like, as you were talking, I was thinking about Melissa Clark was on this podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was talking about like now adding room into the recipes to tell people to taste and like season yes. because yeah. she gets emails from people for the same recipe. And some people mm. will say, this was too salty. And some people are like, this had no flavor. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. so I feel like savory cooking, though, is a little different than baking. right? Yeah, I mean, you can still, I think a lot of people are really weird about tasting raw batter, but you can totally taste a cake batter yeah. raw and you're not going to die. It's going to be okay. And like, you can taste it for at least salt, at least to make sure that that's good or any kind of spices you're adding. But I think I remember, I don't know if it was her or someone else who said that, you know, if it belongs, if you think you're going to put it in a head note, you should just put it in the recipe because yeah. this information that you think, Oh, it's just like a little extra is kind of vital to the recipe. Mm-hmm. So I mean, unless it's like, you know, you can buy whatever at this like grocery store, but if it's a cooking tip, you should just go ahead and put it in the recipe. Mm-hmm. And nowadays, you know, obviously you can write to whatever length online, but in the paper at least, I try to make my recipes as long as possible with all that information mm-hmm. from the get-go. So there's no like taking it out. Like they know exactly how much they have to work with mm-hmm. and make space for that. Cause if you know But it's interesting because it's like I got very what's the word? Like I don't know. I'm not angry, but uh-huh. I kind of got apathetic okay, about yeah. writing really careful recipes yeah. on, my, on my own blog. But it was also because I started to realize that like so much of it had to do with my own taste. Mm-hmm. And I do, I do draw a real yeah. distinction between baking recipes and savory recipes. Totally. But like, for example, tonight I'm going to make a cauliflower pasta, I think. Okay. And um, I'm going to put like garlic in it. I'm going to maybe put like olives in it and capers and anchovies okay. and like red pepper flakes. Okay. And I don't know if I would ever want to tell someone like a specific amount of those things mm. to put in. I would be like, if you like spicy food, add a teaspoon or a tablespoon of red pepper. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. I don't know. I, I think that sometimes I feel like you need to empower people. Yeah to just make their own decisions because I think people are slaves to recipes mm-hmm. a lot of the time yeah. and they it kind of limits their ability to become good cooks. Yeah. What do yeah. you say to that, Ben Mims? Well, I mean, I agree in a lot of ways and yeah. also, like, I, you know, we, when we first, um, Genevieve Co and I, when we first got to the LA Times, we did this whole, like, here's a new, we're in the new cooking team and here's, like, the kind of rules we're going to play by and how we want to cook and one of them was, like, please use our recipes just as guides. Uh-huh. Like, that's what it should be. Yeah. Because we and even she and I have vastly different tastes when it comes to what we eat and how we cook and everything. Mm-hmm. And so, like, even between us, we're not going to do the same thing. So use them as guides. But then there are still people who, like, they want to be told exactly how much salt to use. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that becomes tricky because not all salt is the same. And then, you know, so you can't please everybody. So I've found that I just am going to write a recipe that is how I cook. Mm-hmm. And with if I don't give salt measurements ever, then I'm just then in my own cooking. I won't give it for them. And just, you know, you do have to kind of tell people if you're going to, you know, make this and do this every day and become interested in cooking, you're just going to have to learn how to season your own food. Right. Because you have to, to, I mean, when you write a recipe, what is the level, like when you're writing for the LA Times, like the recipe you posted today was looked delicious. It was like based on the dates that are at Dune uh, in our neighborhood. And like, it's sort of like, it looked like a cookie that wraps. It's arugula. Yeah, arugula. Like oh, yeah. yeah. It looked amazing. <laughs> but like, what level of expertise do you imagine for your ideal recipe doer? Yeah. I think it's, <coughs> I think it changes every time. It depends on what the uh, brief is and like what I'm working for. Mm-hmm. For these Christmas cookies that I put out, I specifically wanted them to 
be made by the most people because mm-hmm. especially with baking recipes, I've only, I've gotten so much like uh, bad like hate mail because people always are messing up baking recipes really? because and I could go into this long history of like people not knowing how to measure flour and like all this other stuff. <laughs> and so everything always comes out dry. So I was like, okay, I need to like dummy proof these and make these the easiest things. What kind of hate mail though? What people? What's like the meanest thing anyone ever said to you? Um, did anyone like really go off on you, or is it mostly just like this recipe didn't work? Well, one time I think a lot of times the people the most hate I get is on the ideas that I have, and so really, yeah, yeah. And I think one I got like a couple weeks ago really was um, I don't know if it was in response to the cookies or the Thanksgiving stuff, but it was something like you know Ben Mims is not even a good food writer or something. Oh it was like, no! It was like oh, I think it was maybe in time he'll mature and you'll be able and he'll be able to like serve the audience well. And I was like, oh well, mature. Right. But what was the recipe he was reacting to? I truly don't remember. Or she, I should say. It was a guy, I believe. I can't remember what. It, I think it was one of the cookies, and I have. I think they were. <laughs> I think they were mad because they perceived them to be difficult. And yeah. I was like, if you read the recipes. They require nothing more than a hand mixer. Like, okay, you might have to get some colorful right. sugars, but those are literally sold in your local grocery store. Like, it's just, weird, like what a niche world food is, yeah. and then like the trolls that live in the mm, food world are like yes. a very unique kind of troll. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I mean, it's not a story worth going into because I don't want to give this person any time of day. <laughs> but I know there was a period where a bunch of food bloggers were being harassed by a specific troll. God, I oh, hope Lord. that doesn't go anywhere. Um, but like, <laughs> I you know, like, but I, I don't even want to. I mean. He would write, I mean, I'll just say for me, okay. he would write me like homophobic, anti-Semitic oh letters where he'd be like, you blah, 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 you know, and like terrifying, like really terrifying. Sure. And and a couple other food people also got these emails and it was like, who is this person? Like, yeah. why do they care so much? Why are they going after like a food blogger? Like, at least, I really hope they're not like still around and like relevant in any way because that would be. I actually think. And this is very juicy gossip, but I think the FBI was called by (sighs) one of the people that was being harassed. That's amazing. And I'll tell you more off the Uh, record. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) Well, Ben, we're almost at the moment where I'm going to ask you what you have for lunch. Are you prepared now to be psychologically evaluated and analyzed and scrutinized? Yes. Because, I mean, I'm going to flay you on this table. I'm going to pull everything (laughs) out of you. Um, Well, Ben, what did you have for lunch today? Okay, so today I have. So can I set up the scene of why I had it for lunch? You can do whatever you want. This is therapy. Up. You just okay, talk, okay. and I'll listen. So today I had to have a photo shoot uh, take place in my house. Mm-hmm. So I was so from like eleven till one, I was like working a photo shoot with a friend of mine. She was making these cocktails. So then after she left, I was really tired, and my boyfriend Jay was there. So it was at the house with us, and so he was just like, "What do you want to do for lunch?" And I'm like, "I don't know, but I gotta do something because mm-hmm. of the podcast." And oh, that's interesting. So you maybe wouldn't have had lunch if there was no podcast. I probably probably would not have had any lunch. Oh, well, you could but, have not had lunch because sometimes I do skip, but like I didn't want to skip. But then he brought up um, <coughs> going to Honeybee to have uh, vegan burgers. <laughs> oh wait, I haven't been there yet. Is that the one in Echo Park? No, it's right. It's here on oh, uh, Vermont. Yeah, yeah. I've walked past By it. Is it Sierra. good? It's really good. So here's why I went. Back over the summer, we did a burger list for the LA Times, and each staff member was assigned like three places to go and eat the burger and then write up a review about it. And I was assigned Honeybee, so I went. Otherwise, I would never have gone. And it was actually a really good burger, even though it's plant-based. It's like, I think it, they give the option of the impossible versus the beyond meat. Um, and they only do like sweet potato fries, which I truly hate. But for some reason, I love them there. I love sweet no potato sense. fries. I've always liked them. Well, sometimes they can be too sweet for me. Yeah. But there they like fry the hell out of them and they salt the hell out of them. Oh, so it's nice. really salty. Okay. 
So we do go back often and it's also easy. It's just like a really good burger. So <coughs> I had their like double uh, patty. I think the beyond, not the impossible. Okay. That helps you. Um, beyond, with, uh, not impossible. Analyzing. Is there a distinction? Is it, do you notice a difference in how they taste? Yeah. Like the impossible one, I feel like is a pretty good represent, like a mimic of like meat. Cause it has that kind of funk about it. And I think it's really crispy at the edges. Whereas the beyond is more like, you know, when you have like a, a pork breakfast sausage patty where it's mm-hmm. kind of like, uh, a little chewy and dense. Yeah. It ha- has that kind of texture to it, which and you I prefer- don't mind. Is that what you wanted? I think I just don't like the impossible. So I just go with the beyond, but okay. it's a little sweet, but then also because it's like a super thin patty mm-hmm. and there's like onions, there's raw and onion jam. There's cheese, vegan cheese. There's lettuce, tomato, and then the bun. And mm-hmm. it's all like grilled together. You don't really taste the meat that much. Yeah. Um, which that's is why I don't true mind in, it. It's probably true in a real burger too. Like, like well, a that's fast why, food yeah. burger. Yeah. Um, now I've noticed twice you've, you've alluded to not liking foods that are sweet, like sweet potatoes and then the burger meat you said. Oh yeah, true, true, true. So are you, yeah. but you do you like sweets cause you make baked goods. So yeah, I like a separation of church and state. It's oh, like, okay. If I'm eating savory food, I want that. I want sugar in that. I'm trying to think of like, like I don't, I hate, um, people love glazed carrots, like honey glazed mm-hmm. carrots or like a, some kind of sweet maple syrup glazed Brussels sprout, like yeah. feel ill. I, I, uh, I but I want, I like my dessert very sweet. So I'm not one of those people that loves a savory dessert. Uh-huh. Like people who are always like, Oh, this dessert was so good. Cause it wasn't that sweet. That's my nightmare. So it's like savory food has to be mm-hmm. fully savory, sweet, fully sweet. So there's some boundaries, yes. like setting, setting <laughs> firm guidelines. I guess so. I never really thought about that. Well, one. I was also thinking about it in terms of you. I mean, we're getting right out of the gate here. I'm like <laughs> ready to like psychoanalyze, but it's interesting because as you were talking about recipe writing and I was kind of grilling you on it and like kind of making mm-hmm. my little lame argument that mm-hmm. you can just like throw as much as you want into a pan. Mm-hmm. But I feel like rules are rules mm-hmm. important to you or yes. structure and yes, yes regimentation. Yes. yes. And is that true of like your day to day life too? Um, oh yeah. I definitely love a routine. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to wake up every morning, have like a, a uh, if not the same breakfast, I always have like the same like coffee drink. Uh, from a restaurant in our neighborhood all the time. And then... Wait, all time? Yeah, at all time. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wait, then, wait, all the time? You were saying all oh, the time? Oh, I did say all the time, but it is from all time. <laughs> but so, you said all the time, not referring to the name of the restaurant. No, I didn't mean it that way, but that's where it's from. Oh, yeah. So I guess it kind of slipped out. <laughs> yeah, but what, what, is, what is your morning coffee drink? Uh, okay, so it was an almond milk latte. Okay. Because I don't do dairy. And then now they changed to oat milk. I remember I went in there one day and they were like, do you like this new milk? Whatever. And I was like, it's, <coughs> it's okay. I do kind of prefer almond, but they, they only do one non-dairy oh. version. Why? And I don't know. They, they only have half and half yeah. and then they only have like a non-dairy milk. So it's I was like, annoying. Okay. I don't like coffee shops that only have half and half. It's like, what are they trying Isn't to say? Strange. Well, it's like, it's, they're like, if you're going to enjoy yourself, you may as well use half and half or what's the idea. Well, I mean, it's kind of like almost, why don't you just do cream or yeah. whole milk? I, I mean, I don't know. It's weird. Like how, what, places think is appropriate for coffee also half and half just reminds me of like the midwest and like yeah. the south like that's where all the coffee shops have i but agree and half <laughs> and half is sort of like you the way you describe like honey glazed carrots it's like Ugh. half like bad for you half good for you yes, it's like exactly. just pick a lane and just stick do to it. it yeah, yeah exactly uh, okay so that you have just the coffee in the morning i have just the coffee and i'll switch up breakfast every once in a while lunch is 
varies wildly depending if I'm working from home in Los Feliz or in El Segundo at the office. Question though. So yeah. today when you were considering not having lunch, like yes. if, if, I, if you weren't coming on this podcast, you probably wouldn't have had lunch. Yeah. But if you, what, I was going to ask like, what were you testing today? Like what were you doing in the morning? Like were, oh. you, were you eating a lot before lunch? I, so my friend, her name is Rebecca Pepler. She, oh, amazing. Aperitif. Yeah. Yeah. She She wrote this book called Aperitif. And then Ben, you went to Paris with her, right? Yeah. I stayed with her in Paris for a few days and then we went, drove to Normandy to do research for her next book, um, which is a whole other story in and of itself. And then, um, she was here because she's doing a story for us on flip cocktails. On what cocktails? Flips. They're kind of like, um, eggnog, but without, cream basically uh-huh. it's like liquor with a whole egg and it gets kind of frothy and creamy but like no dairy in it and so she and i met at all time okay for breakfast <laughs> and then did we you sh- have breakfast i had breakfast i had their cheesy eggs on toast so you had a big breakfast I had a big breakfast knowing that you were going to also have to eat lunch well i had the breakfast at 9 a.m so i figured i'm right. i get st- i starve every three hour period so but I you usually, don't eat normally eat lunch only because Ben, this is not adding up. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, usually because I'm busy, if I'm too busy, Mm -hmm. like cooking or just like doing something else, I will literally just forget to eat lunch until around like three and Uh, I'm like super hangry and getting mad and just like annoyed at everything. And I'll like shove like a bag of almonds in my mouth and that's about it. You don't even take them out of the bag. You just put the whole bag in. The whole bag. Eat the plastic. plastic. It's like an extra. But I guess what I'm really asking is like, how often are you cooking during the day and snacking on like what you're making versus going out Mm. and getting meals? I would probably say, (laughs) sorry, I'm coughing so much, by the way, I'm still getting over a cold. It's been like three weeks. So, Oh no, same. Yeah. Um, I would probably say, I'd probably say lunch is not that important to me. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, and we've had this discussion where a lot of times my lunch is like a green, like shake smoothie from like moon juice or something. Uh-huh. Or it's like a Soylent shake, honestly, just because uh-huh. I, I can, I, I love a big breakfast. Like that's my main meal of the day. I love it. Uh-huh. Lunch and dinner. I could like give or take. It doesn't matter like what I do, especially dinner. Really? Breakfast is your favorite meal of the day? Favorite meal of the day. I could eat. That's why I remember like, Speaking of like the vegan burger, I was like, I tried to live plant based for like eight months a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I wanted to cry because it means you couldn't have anything good for breakfast. Yeah. It was all I want to do was eat eggs. But also, breakfast seems like a dangerous terrain for you because it's yeah. a world where sweet and savory mix all the time. It's like, I just had a mm. plate with pancakes, bacon, and eggs at a diner. And like, I poured the syrup on the yes. pancakes and it dripped onto the eggs. How yes. would you feel about that? Okay. So that's the one exception because usually I'll either pick a savory or sweet breakfast. Yeah. If it's like a weekend, like brunch situation, I, A, I wake up at like 6 or 7 a.m. no matter what. So mm-hmm. I'll just like have, if I have a pastry first thing in the morning with my coffee, mm-hmm. then at brunch, I'll do the save something savory and vice versa. Oh. But would you ever have a pastry and an egg dish at no, the same time? Absolutely not. Really? But I will do, I make exceptions for pancakes, waffles, and French toast, like that classification of breakfast things, because I think they taste better with like bacon or sausage on the side. Oh, yeah, because it's salty yes. and then sweet. Now, don't let that syrup hit my eggs because that's gross, but I don't mind it <laughs> on the breakfast pork meat. Now, were you the kind of kid <laughs> that was like keeping your peas separate from oh, your... Oh, 100%. Like, keep yes. your plate very... Okay, yes. so very regimented. Yes. <laughs> um, okay, but wait, did we get through your day? So you were saying, so lunch, sometimes you'll have like a moon juice or a smoothie. Yeah, or a smoothie. And then dinner, you said you can give her... You don't care that much about dinner? Din- dinner that's shocking to me. Well, it's like dinner is usually... And Genevieve and I talk about this as like as people have to like test a bunch of random food all day long. Mm-hmm. Dinner for me is usually, okay, here's my time to like 
fix myself with my diet from like the day I've had where I'm just uh, eating a bunch of random shit. So you'll have like lettuce or why I won't do lettuce because lettuce I loathe because lettuce like <laughs> is rough on my stomach. Like this is going to be like a two hour session. I, know, I, know, yeah. I, know. I had no idea what I was in for I when I had so you many hangups on food, um, <coughs> which is I, interesting because you're a food writer. I know I, I always, I'm always like, Oh, I love everything. Like I have no opinions. But then when you, I sit down and think about it, I'm like, Oh, there's a lot that I don't like. Yeah. Um, but usually dinner will be like roasted broccoli or peas or some kind of green vegetable and mm-hmm. like a pot of like white rice and that'll be it just because it's like gentle on my stomach but i get greens yeah. nutrition and i don't feel like disgusting so that's, that's a really dinner. good idea maybe i'll take yeah. my cauliflower tonight and just steam it yeah and make some rice that sounds really sad though <laughs> just, well, cauliflower <laughs> see, if you're gonna do it with rice which is already kind of just like it's like white on white, white. and steamed yeah. you gotta have some kind of flavor so roast it at least don't roast steam it. it yeah but, um, um yeah. <laughs> well this is all fascinating well i think i mean i know your background a little bit but yeah. for people who don't know yeah. where did you grow up mm, i grew up in mississippi okay and where um, in mississippi well so the name of the town is called Kosciuszko, and it's right in the center of the state geographically. Mm-hmm. And the one claim to fame we have is that Oprah was born in my oh, hometown. Really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah. So I think she was there from like birth to like three years old. So not that long, but did if you guys go, know each other, no, I wish I'm like, <laughs> you're too young for that. No, I did see her. I remember I was in <coughs> high school and she came back to build a boys and girls club in our hometown and like dedicate it. And so I like, Saw her from afar. Amazing. That was like a holiday in our town. Everyone took off work to go. You see could probably her. do wonders with her vegetables from her garden. Oh, oh my! I wish. I mean, she's only like in what Thousand Oaks. Like she's right near here. Oh yeah. Well, I she think. also. Where does she? Is that where she mostly is? I think. I think so. Well, think she listens to this podcast, so maybe she'll have you on. I, I, I wish. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, okay. So you grew up in, in Mississippi, and I mean, what was it called again? Kosciuszko. Kosciuszko. So if you've ever, if you're, if you've ever been to. Uh, you have been to New York, but if you've ever been that bridge that um, connects Brooklyn and Queens called the Kosciuszko Bridge, okay. same guy. Really? We just pronounce it in a different way. It's the same like Polish general who like really got around. I've li- I lived in New York my, most of my life and I'd never heard that bridge referred to really? ever. Yeah. It's, it's, there's like a street that I think runs through, you know, Bushwick or something like where all the kids are now. So they, mm. I see it all the time, but same guy. And you I know was, that um, Craig Claiborne, who was the yeah. first, um, Food critic or mm-hmm. created food criticism for the New York Times yeah. was from Sunflower, Mississippi. Yep. Yep. And I know that because I read his memoir, yeah. which like, is a very juicy memoir. <laughs> actually, it's, it's actually behind you right oh, there wow. on that bottom shelf. It's the middle book, oh my God. but it's called A Feast Made for Laughter. And oh, it's man. sort of about, it's very coded because uh-huh. he was gay yeah. and, and kind of came out. Yeah. And, um, but he, the most shocking part of the book is that like, he divorced his mother or like he broke up with his mother because his mother would never approve of him. So he took her to a restaurant in um, New York when she visited and told her he would never wanted to see her again. Oh wow. But I digress. This is yeah. your therapy session, but you're from this, <laughs> but I, I always think of when, the fact that you're from Mississippi and then this like iconic food writer is also yeah. from Mississippi. Yeah, yeah. Both of you like moved to New York and became oh, yes. successful food writers. So yeah. there is some similarities there. Oh no, people bring it up. All the time. Well, I'm sorry so to be so boring. No, okay. Gee. Okay. No, no one's brought it up in quite a long time, but okay. usually some people will bring it up. Um, okay, so you're from Mississippi. Yeah, you yeah. grew up there. Yep. And, when, um, and I think you painted this picture for Craig and I when we first yeah. met you, but it was like a farm or was there... I mean, I grew up like in a pretty um, like middle American like suburb type thing, but my grandparents lived on a farm like way out in the middle of nowhere. Like okay. the name of the town was called Carmack. Okay. It is extremely um, country. Okay. Anyways, um, there was a catfish shack down the road from their house. 
And that was like the only restaurant for at least like 30 minutes in any direction. Was it good? Oh, it was really good. Yeah. But it was the kind of places, it was the kind of place where you walk into it. It's only a buffet and they would do, you would have fried catfish, not in the like long fillets, but they would do steak. So they would like cut it crosswise. Oh, wow. It was like four lobes with like a plus sign kind of skeleton in the middle. Uh huh. You would have that. You would have um, little small um, corn cobs like boiling away in like the crock pot. Okay. You would have a pot of greens, which were amazing. There would be coleslaw. Sometimes there'd be some fried okra, like giant vats of like sweet and unsweetened tea. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they got like an ice cream machine later in life that you can have like soft serve on your way out. But after you left, your clothes and your skin <laughs> just reeked of like fried fish. So you had like, we had a ritual of every Friday. We would go do that with my grandparents. And then when we got home, strip everything off, throw it in the laundry and like take a shower immediately because you couldn't go to sleep. Smelled like catfish. Smelled like catfish. Is yeah. it still there? I think it's still there. I think they got a new owner last I heard from my parents and they um, introduced like healthy options. It's oh like my steamed God. Steamed catfish now with um, broccoli. It's like a whole thing. What's it, do you remember what it's called? I think it was it called the Carmack Fish Shack or just like the Fish Shack. I think that was it. Okay. Yeah. That's and amazing. It was connected to a gas station. They had like a mini, what I call, you know, from living in your bodega thing situation, but it was like all the candy and sandwiches and everything. But it was like extremely rural. <laughs> I'm imagining like when somebody makes the documentary about your life, they oh will bring God. you back there and you will oh, probably. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Sure, so, how did one, how did you get from growing up in Mississippi mm-hmm. and having this small town grandparents and growing up in a, and your town was small too or? Oh yeah, my small town was like maybe three thousand people. Like it's okay. tiny, tiny. Yeah. yeah. How did you go from that to moving to New York and becoming a food writer? I how did it? I think I was in college and I was um, majoring in communications, and I got like an internship at a newspaper in Vicksburg. Okay, which is one of the big that Vicksburg and Gettysburg are the two main like kind of Civil War moments of uh, importance. And so there's like a giant Civil War like memorial there. It's like really strange um, mm-hmm. that people love to go to. And so while I was there, I had to do, I had to work like a week on every beat at the newspaper. Okay. It's and like, this is in Mississippi. This is still in Mississippi, okay. like on the Mississippi river. <coughs> um, it's like where all the steamboats kind of launch from oh, to amazing. go down to new Orleans. So you were like yeah. Huck Finn basically. Basically. Yes. Mm. I could like see them from the office. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like the first week I was there, I had to like, walk through the prisons where like guys like yelling crazy you know, shit to like see who had all gotten arrested that night. Like the next week I remember I was like tagging along with a guy and we were like going up to like car wrecks and like seeing dead bodies everywhere. So it was like, okay, if I feel like I have to do this, I want to like write about something that is not this real of life. Like, I, want, <laughs> I want like something that makes me happy because yeah. I just can't deal with prisons and dead bodies everywhere. And sure. so while I was there, I was sitting at the desk of the woman who was a food writer or the food editor. Uh-huh. And, but the food editor at the Vicksburg Post meant just like the richest, like grand dame lady in town. You're like, I want to be her. <laughs> yes. Her name was Lauren Stam, and she had like beautiful gray hair. She, I think she was like 85 at that point, had a huge mansion in town and like the old part of town. And like her, the reason why she had that job was because she would like host these like elaborate, like masked galas back in the 50s and 60s with her rich family and stuff and just like throw these parties with food and everything. So she was a food editor. Mm -hmm. And so she was the one who was like, you know, you should really think about writing about food. It's this like new industry or whatever. And this was like in 2006, it was not new. It had already been established, but um, I was like, okay, cool. That sounds good. And so I think I just on a whim applied for culinary school in New York. Cause I was like, if I'm going to go somewhere, I might as well go there. And then 
got in. Question though, yeah. had you grown up cooking? Like, were you a big yeah. cook growing up? I'd grown up, well, I'd grown up c- cooking a lot. My mother and like her sister and then my dad's mother, the woman who lives, the grandparents who live out in Carmack, they were huge bakers. So okay. we would always have, every single Sunday we'd have either a pecan pie, like a big cream cheese pound cake, or some kind of like extremely heart-clogging, rich dessert just like around uh-huh. or cookies of some sort. And so we always had that. My dad um, grilled a lot, of course. And like, so we were a cooking family. And so I was like, okay, if I'm going to write about something that I want to do. It's either cooking or music. And I don't but know Also, why. quick question though. Did yeah. you, so when you were in like high school and middle school, like were you like taking the reins of the kitchen? Like were you really cooking for your family? A little bit. I okay. would like do, like on the weekends, I would like have friends over and like cook for them a little bit. But like all of the meals I made were complete garbage. Like, cause I didn't know what I was doing. What yet, kind of really. stuff would you make? I remember, I, I remember one of them distinctly was making like a beef Wellington. Wow. I'm that's like, ambitious. I'm like a Rachel Ray recipe <laughs> or something that I got in on like food network. And it was, you had to cook the filet mignons. So it wasn't like the whole thing. Right. You had to cook them individually. They didn't wrap them in puff pastry. It's sort of like individual, but like I overcooked it so bad. Sure. It was just like, but that's hard to do. It's hard to get the pastry cooked and the meat rare and that. Yeah. And all the mushrooms I made from scratch. It was like yeah. all day. Everything was a mess. So did your friends eat it or did they pretend? I can't remember. I think my one friend was like, Oh, this is great. But like, she was just really nice. And I was <laughs> that's like, so oh. funny in the early stages of, uh, <laughs> I remember I had a, a roommate, uh, when I went to law school, that's a whole other story, mm-hmm. but she, she was always like incredulous of my cooking. Cause I was just getting started at the time. This okay. is 2006. And so she'd always kind of like have like a raised eyebrow when I made something. And I once like made her a coffee cake, <laughs> Um, cause she had just come home from a trip and I remember she's like, it's raw inside. Oh, and I was God. like, it is not. And then she's like, I can't eat this. And I was like, yes, you can. Like, I thought she was like just being so dramatic. Yeah. So I remember like, like just taking a big slice and it really was like running out oh, in the middle. Oh my God. And I was like, it's just like, right. It's like, it's like a soft, it's like you eat cake batter, you know? So, yeah. I, so I like ate it and I got so like, I think Ooh. I like vomity sick, but I just felt it gross. Felt Ill, yeah. yeah. So Ooh. I've been there before. Okay. So you applied to which culinary school? Uh, it, then it was called the French Culinary Institute. Oh, yeah, of course. Now it's the International Culinary Center, I think. Because we both have a mutual friend who worked there named oh, Leland. Leland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, so I applied there, got in, so then did my last year at college, moved to New York, and um, when I first got there, the reason why I met Leland was because I was like, hey, I need a job, you guys, because I am poor, I'm from Mississippi, I have nothing, I've like, I got to support myself somehow. And they were like, okay, we can't give you a job. We can give you an internship at a restaurant somewhere, but then you can also, if you want to, work for us in the office of the culinary school to like, it wasn't even to get paid though. It was to um, just have (coughs) my student housing Mm -hmm. like for free, technically. But I was like, well, I've already taken out the loan for that. So like, Uh. it's not really paying me, but whatever. Um, So I didn't actually ever get a job, even though I asked for one. Um, But they got me an internship with, Jean Georges, amazing. Who I did not know who that was at the time. I was they, like literally him, uh, his restaurant. Oh, okay, so, yeah. like his like group, and they were like, you know, his recipe testing chef needs someone to help him. Do you know who this guy is? And I was like, I don't know, never heard of him in my life, but who cares? And so I did that for like three months. I interviewed with him, worked <coughs> with him, and, and you then, went to the rest, like the Jean Georges. Like I went to the re- that the one in. Um, 
Upper West Side, right there, where yeah, and Trump, Columbus, Columbus Circle, yeah, yeah Trump Tower, as yes. in Trump, not oh Trump Tower, but like next to Trump International Hotel. It's it's in the hotel, yeah, yeah, like yeah, which is floor. so weird. I mean, yeah, because I don't think John George himself is like a big. I actually have no idea what he's like. I don't think so, but I remember after like Trump got elected, he like didn't. I mean, they never closed down. He didn't yeah. like take. He didn't pull out. So you know, who knows? Um, <laughs> How was that experience for you, though? It was interesting. I remember like, and I uh, definitely have not talked to him in like a million years, but I remember the recipe testing chef I worked with, it was that kind of culture where they kind of try to like break your balls a little bit and like they're right. kind of assholes to you to see what will happen. And I remember the first day I was there, they made me wear this like two foot tall, like paper chef's hat that no one else was wearing. So I'd <laughs> point out that I was like the new guy to kind of haze you a little kind bit. of hazing. And then I would hate that. I couldn't handle that. Oh, it was terrible. I remember I was sitting, I was, they set me up to uh, prep right in front of this office in the center of the room that was enclosed in glass. And that was where they all sat like Jean George himself and all his like main chefs sat in this like room where their office was. And so I was like working right in front of them, staring at their faces while I'm like chopping through the glass and I see, I think I had a question that I need to ask. <coughs> yeah. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to walk in and ask. So I opened the door and they could see me coming because it's glass. And I was like, hey, I need to ask you a question. And they all like turned to me. And then Jean-Georges said something in French and they all just started laughing. And like no one turned towards me. I was like, okay. So I just like closed the door and walked back out. Do you have any like, idea what he said? I have no idea, but it's probably some kind of asshole remark who knows and <laughs> maybe so he said like, this guy is so handsome i wish i looked like that i i mean i definitely know he did not say <laughs> that he's probably about to look at this loser or something but so. i have a question um yeah. did you when you were working at john george at that yeah. up to that point had you been trained in like how to hold a knife like how to properly like do yeah. a chinois yeah. or what's it called like brun brun yeah. brun was brun i think yeah, yeah. so you you learned that in school i did like three months of school okay they, like, they won't let you take uh an internship until you've done at least the first three. So you months. got the basics. I had the basics down. Um, and did you learn anything working at John George? I mean, at the, at, so at that time that recipe testing chef who I had gotten a job with, he went on like R and D to Turkey. And so he put me down at Perry street mm-hmm. down the West village. And so that's where I spent like the left, the rest of like two and a half months I was there. I learned a little bit there. Um, but also while I was there was when like the molecular gastronomy boom was still happening. And so it was a lot of like, how to scoop out the innards of a tomato to make it like a strawberry yeah, you know? and I've like that. Yeah. how to uh, sous vide stuff. So it's nothing that I've continued to use in my life. Um, that was funny because I, when I did my cookbook, I got to cook with Jose Andres, oh, nice. yeah. which was amazing because he's oh, wow. like this icon now, especially because yeah. he has all this charity work. But mm-hmm. that was one of the things he taught me. He was like, here, I'm going to teach you how to open a tomato. Mm-hmm. And he like, Slice the ends off the tomato and then like put the seeds on the knife. He's like, "Look, yes. this is the and I, and I literally have <laughs> never used that <laughs> ever. It doesn't like, taste good. No, well, it's like yeah, if you're at a restaurant and like somebody <laughs> wants to hand you some pretty like tomato seeds. I guess that's uh-huh. pretty like on a like a beautiful like porcelain yeah. spoon or something. But like sure. if you're cooking at home, you're never gonna do that. No, but I'm not trying to be out. ungrateful. Thank you, yeah. Jose Andres, <laughs> if you are listening to this. Yes, exactly. Which I'm, he and Oprah are listening together oh. and they're like, "Can you imagine?" Okay, so you're at the culinary school, but I yeah. think it's very interesting that you went to culinary school to be a writer that you knew you wanted to be a food writer and not a chef. Yeah. And so I think, and that, and at that time I feel like that was not really something that was done because mm-hmm. a lot of people, a lot of people in who were food writers were just straight up writers, journalists of all of everything. And they just like, you know, either were either rewarded by getting to like work the food beat or that's just something they wrote about. Mm-hmm. And then it just like came an occupation. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, but I was like, Oh, I already have my, you know, communication degree, I guess if I want to be a food writer, I have to know food. So I better go to culinary school. Like that was my weird kind of naive 
thinking behind it. But it's not um, naive because it makes a lot of sense for what you do I now guess. because it's like you are like giving recipes to people and it yeah, requires true, a true. level of expertise yeah. that you probably got from culinary school. Yeah, but also like every job I've ever had, I think only one has ever required that I'd gone to culinary school. Yeah. The rest of them didn't. So it was just like, you know, it just depends on who. Because a lot of people get hired to do test kitchen work that just worked in restaurants. They don't right. really have any kind of culinary school training, which, yeah. But what about the writing part of it? Like, had you like been interested in writing even before you um, yeah. went to that newspaper? Like, did you enjoy writing growing up? Yeah, I, enjoy, I enjoyed writing. And um, I remember, I think, it, uh, taking some writing class right before I went to college, the teacher was like, Oh, you know, you're really good at this. You should think about making this a career. Mm -hmm. And I I was just so, I was like, well, I have no idea what I want to do. So sure. Like anybody, if she could have said, you should be like a garbage man. You have talents for it. I'd be like, great. Okay. I just didn't, I just went with whatever. Wow. I'm glad that she didn't said. say that to you. <laughs> we would not um, have those delicious cookies oh to make. God, thank you. Um, um, okay. No. So how did you go from culinary school to your first job as a food writer? That was, so it's a little bit of a dramatic tale. Yes, so, please. That's um, what we want. While I was at Perry street, the, the chef de cuisine that was there at the time, um, which he now has a, uh, pretty hip pizza restaurant in Brooklyn. So I'm not going to say his name, but he was there and he was one of those. He's, he was an asshole. I'm sorry. But he was, <laughs> and he, he showed me how to cut a red bell pepper a certain way. I remember. And so I did it. And then he came back to me like an hour later, be like, Oh, you did this wrong and showed me a different way to do it. And I was like, okay, came back an hour later and did it again, like a third way to do it wrong. So he was like trying to like be an asshole to me. And I was like, I'm not going to put up with this. And so I literally put my knife down, like in the middle of service, walked out, changed my clothes and then like on the way out, I like, stopped by the door and just like waved goodbye. And I was like, I'm out of here. Cause I'm not, you're an idiot. And also I can't deal with this. And wow. Now I mean, I some people really can be know hazed. who this is. Well, some people can be hazed, but I'm not one of them. I was yeah. like, this is not going to work on me. So nice try. Um, so I left. Then the next day, the guy who had originally hired me, he was like, Oh, I'm back now. Let's like work. Like, why are you going to leave? And I was like, you've been gone for months and not responding to anything. So I don't believe you. And so I left. And then just so happens the next day at culinary school, there was like an ad out for Sever needing um, a research intern, I think, like on the print side, not even the test kitchen. And so I applied and somehow magically got that job. That's amazing. Um, well, that was an internship. But still, because it's like... Yeah. The, the gods were smiling. The food gods were smiling upon you. Maybe, I, maybe Craig Claiborne was guiding oh your, your soul. I have been very lucky to like hit on things at the right at the right time. So yeah. um, I got that internship. <coughs> like a few weeks before that was supposed to end, the test kitchen director at Sever had had to like move back to Texas for like a family thing, and so they needed help in the test kitchen. I was like, "Well, I'm in culinary school. I should be doing this." They're like, "Okay, come help us." So that so then I did a whole test kitchen internship for like four months. And then they were like, we need to hire someone. And so I ended up being there at the right time for that. So it was just like being right there when opportunities were available. Were so you able to finish culinary school? I finished. I think I got the job at Sever a month before I finished culinary oh school. Oh my God. Wow. So between, you had an <laughs> enchanted journey on your yeah. food um, path. It was, a, it was a lot. Like nine months of <laughs> culinary school. And from the beginning, showing up at like no job, nothing going on until like having one at the end. I was very lucky. And I count myself very uh, blessed in that way. So that was... It worked out. And so, and then how long were you at Sever for? I was at Sever for, I think like four and a half years. Okay. Um, and then I had, I don't know why, I think I had gone to visit San Francisco and it was my first time like being outside of a, in another city besides New York. And I was like, oh, this is really nice here. There was like great food. The weather was nice. 
I was there with a friend. So I got like the best version of San Francisco. So I was like, I think I'm going to move to San Francisco. And so I literally dropped everything in New York, moved to San Francisco, got a job working for um, Brandon Jew, who's now at Mr. Jew's. He has Mr. Jew's restaurant in San Francisco. Uh, Okay. Then he was at Bar Agricole, and so I got a job working for him. I've been to Bar Agricole. You have? Yeah, the it was drinks great. are really good. Yeah, it was delicious. Um, and so I was doing uh, pastry work for him. <coughs> this was also around the same time that I was like working on my first cookbook, like a baking cookbook. So I was like, "What's that one called?" Uh, Sweet and Southern. Okay, Sweet and yeah. Southern. Everyone should buy it right now. Great <laughs> Christmas gift, 2014 or Hanukkah gift. Back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, Don't yeah. undersell your book. It's something for everyone. Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like made that into like, Oh, I can be your pastry chef. And so he's like, Oh yeah, I know what Sever is and stuff. So sure. He like hired me. He's a really nice guy. I love him. And so I worked for him for a while. So you were, he, a, you became a pastry chef at yeah, Bar Agricole. Yeah, yeah. So did you have to come up with original dishes? To yeah, serve? I did like the stuff that had been done there for like a month or two. And then I got to come up with my own stuff. And how many people were you serving a night? Like how many desserts did you have to make in oh, a given? Um, or just a ballpark? Like, was it, I would probably say like between 30 and 40. And like was it wasn't it, that many. But were you prepared? Had you been prepared, prepared from culinary school mm-hmm. for like this kind of experience? Like, did you know what to do? Like when you got that job, you're, you came in the first day, you're like, okay, yeah. let's rock and roll. Like, yeah. Let's make pretty, the cookies. Pretty much. I'm pretty quick to adapt to yeah. a situation. And I kind of liked the pace of it. Like I truly loved working in restaurants and that pace of just like nonstop going, going, going. Mm-hmm. It's just, you know, it, it didn't, you can't have a life outside of it and you have no friends cause your days off or never the weekend. So it yeah. just didn't work out that way. But um, I enjoyed being there. Did you have people in your department? Like, were you in charge of other people? I had one other person uh, who was, she wasn't really my assistant. We were just like both there together, mm-hmm. um, but she helped me out. And so she's great. I'm still friends with her. She's now a baker in Boston. Um, and so I worked there for him for a little while, but then he left. And then the woman who took over for him, she and I did not get along. Very <laughs> so it was, just, it was this pattern. I was just like, oh my God, why do I keep having to work with these people? And so she did not like anything I came up with. She did not like, you know, having to like have my food and like, she didn't like the freedom I think that I'd had under Brandon. Mm-hmm. So we had a few, um, I guess you would call them fights in the kitchen. Really? Like in front of, well, like she would like, uh, you know, say something to me about my food or just like what I was doing. And I'm one of those people that's not going to not defend myself. So I was like, well, and I just, I would speak back to her uh-huh. loudly in front of everyone sure. so they could hear. Um, and she didn't like that. So and then they eventually let me go because right. they were like downsizing their pastry department, mm-hmm. which they were. But I was also I was like, you know, please get me out of here. I didn't want to be there anymore. Well, in terms so. of psychology, I mean, it's interesting. So like it, it feels like in the um, Perry Street situation mm-hmm. and then in mm-hmm. the situation with this woman that yeah. it feels like you're a very sensitive person in a lot of ways. Yeah, I would say that. Yeah. So did, do you feel like your sensitivity lends itself more to writing mm. than kitchen work because of the way people are treated in kitchens or. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I would say, but also like, you know, whenever Brandon was there and I worked under him, yeah. he was like really nice. But it also I sounds treated, like, a, it sounds like abuse. I mean, it does sound like, yeah. like at Perry street, it sounds like he was abused. I mean, yeah. you were being abused yeah. you know? and it, it yeah. almost sounds like the people who like that are almost like masochists in a way. Like if some people crave that, well, I have a theory about that. So yeah. Cause Let's like, hear it. I mean, well, that's, I think that's what a lot of people, you know, Cooks are a specific breed mm-hmm. too, and I love that. I love that and being them. But a lot of people who you know they're craving some type of tribe to belong to will put up with a lot to mm-hmm. belong to it. And cooks are a specific group that I think are the funniest people I've ever met. Some of my best friends were people I cooked with. 
Um, but you really have to have a specific personality to stick it out there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, literally the guy at Perry street and then this, uh, woman who was a chef at Biocol were the only two people I ever had problems with. Like every other chef at both of those restaurants and cooks still friends with it to stay. They were great. It just happened to be like the two people in charge. Yeah. The fact that they, that we didn't get along. I was like, well, I can't get, I can't stay here. I so. guess I'm asking though, like what kind of personality would have done well with those people? Like, would it have been somebody who was mm. just more open to being abused? Basically? Well, probably someone younger yeah. and had already had, you know, was at the start of their career. So yeah. Like, oh, okay. This is just how it is. You just have to put up with it. Yeah. I but, mean, I felt yeah. that way a little bit in the TV world. Like, you know, mm. I, I called it like eating a shit sandwich. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's yeah. just sort of like having to do something you don't want to do. Yeah. Like having, yeah. you know, like, on a sitcom, like somebody put a joke in to your episode, um, where you're like, that is a terrible joke. That's wild. But it's like, they're, you know, this person is more senior to me. So uh, I, you know, it's like, it's a lot yeah. of that. And I think every industry where yeah. you, you just have to put up with it. Absolutely, um, absolutely. But then there's some things that are not worth being, not worth putting up with. So that's the thing. I was like, okay, this is not, <coughs> neither of those restaurants were, and, and at that point, I was just didn't, I just didn't care that much. I didn't put that much, um, Cause I knew it wasn't going to serve me mm-hmm. that well. It was just like experience for now. Yeah. Um, so how, what happened next? Where did you go after that? So I left there. I think I freelanced for about probably six or so months in San Francisco for um, people who I'd worked with at Savar who had now gone on to like Southern living or everyday with Rachel Ray or all these other magazines and newspapers. And so I did work for them and then Jay and I moved back to, Wait, when did you meet Jay? My God, that's a totally different long story. <laughs> uh, we met in New York and then broke up. And then I moved to San Francisco in the, in between time. And then when I got there, though, we started talking again. And then he like came out to visit me. Yeah. And then we became then we got back together again. And then I think he spent a few more months in New York. And then he moved out to um, to come to San Francisco. And then we were there for like eight months, I think, together. And then we both decided to come back to New York. So it was a lot of like back and forth for a right. couple of years. Um, but when we moved back to New York in 2014, I was very lucky to, um, I had been interviewing for a job at food and wine uh-huh. six months prior while okay. I was in San Francisco and I was like, okay, I didn't get the job nothing happened. So then when I got back to New York, I reached back out to them. They're like, Oh, the job is still open. We just did not know what we wanted the position to be. So we just didn't say anything about it, but mm-hmm. now we're ready and we know. And so I interviewed again for it you know, very lucky to get the job. Um, so that worked out. So I got a job working in their test kitchen. Um, I was hired to do kind of an in-between, like a both job, both writing and test kitchen, mm-hmm. which worked for me. Cause I like doing both. Yeah. Um, which was kind of odd, but I was like, okay, I'll take it. And the test kitchen work I was doing was testing a couple of recipes from every cookbook that came out that year to mm-hmm. then put them into their kind of compendium of like the best of the best oh, yeah. recipes of the year. Was this Dana Cowan? Was she the editor? Dana she? was still there. Okay. Um, yeah, it was all the kind of the old guy. It was still at the Hippodrome building in Midtown. She took me to lunch once cause I wrote one oh, really? article for food and wine Yeah, and uh, I'll never forget. Cause she's like, she's very cool, very, you know, debonair, uh, I guess yeah. and smart. And uh, we were at this like fancy restaurant with a white tablecloth and we were talking and drinking <laughs> wine and there was like a fly buzzing around the table 
and we were just like she was making eye contact with me and like we were talking and then she just slammed her <laughs> fist down on the table and just like killed the fly oh my god but like without missing a beat and I was I jumped out of my chair I was like and I was like oh my god she was like keep going and it was just it was just amazing it was like wow I love her oh my god she has great um, jackets too like she yeah. wears the best blazers and things sorry Winston is like eating my cookbooks on the floor oh is it the Mozza one yeah he's yeah. a little oh, so Winston you can't do that he's being a little ornery right now because he didn't get a big walk yet mm. I need to kind of figure this out I'd be the same way um, well Ben we're not at the end of the podcast yet but now I feel like we need to go a little deeper into your okay. psychology no but I feel like we've learned some things right now oh yeah yeah for like sure. rules and order but yeah. I was going to ask about that like did was anyone in your family like in the military was there like any military um I had like an aunt in the military I think what? another uncle what did your parents do they were both teachers. Teachers. So okay. my dad taught math uh-huh. in high school. Math is very structured. I'm just trying to find like the source oh, of structure. I, think, I mean, that's definitely like I love, love math. Like I love working uh, with numbers. So uh, okay. um, which probably means it's probably also why I love baking more than savory cooking. But um, yeah, so he was a math teacher <coughs> and a basketball and football coach, oh, uh, okay. which means I also had to play those sports. Growing really? Up. You played football? Through high school. Oh, yeah. Through high school. Oh, yes. And how did you get through it? Uh, I honestly don't know because it was the worst time of my life. I hated football. So and you were much. closeted, I imagine. When closeted, you were of course, absolutely. So in the locker um, room, you had to be like, "Hey, check out that chick over there. I don't know that cheerleader over there." I honestly don't know how I got through high school because I never, I never had a girlfriend. But also, I never was put in a position to have to do talk like that. I guess I didn't hang out with those kids, so it didn't even on the football team. Like even on you, the football team, they didn't ask you like no, because it was just like show up for practice. Practice is done leave yeah i didn't really hang out with them you weren't like hey guys want to shower no oh my god absolutely (laughs) not yeah i think even back then i was just like did not understand fully so i just didn't even Uh, because i've seen a lot of videos about this and they're very (laughs) instructional in case you want me to send you i wish i'd had those experiences (laughs) i did not unfortunately um Um, okay so football team so when did you when did you come out i came out after i moved to new york for culinary school for culinary school you met leland and you're like okay 22 i think when i came 22 okay I knew I was since I was like 13. Right. But you know, when you think that you're going to live the rest of your life in the South, mm-hmm. you kind of make some concessions. So I was like prepared. Cause I didn't know before I got the server job, I was prepared to move back to Mississippi and just like get a job there doing God knows what. So uh, at the, at the catfish shack, at the catfish shack, and yeah. the head chef there. Oh, can you imagine? So how did your family react when you came out? Um, not well. Yeah. <laughs> Mine too, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Oh God. I think I wrote about it. I did a speech for, for about it or um, Southern Foodways Alliance like mm-hmm. five years ago um, where I kind of like talked about like that night, the specific meal we were having. Like it was not a fun scene. Was, um, it, was it at their house? It was at our house. Cause I'd come back to do a story on like a food truck that was in Mississippi that I like, did like weddings and stuff. And so I had a photographer with me who she lived in New York as well. So she was down there like staying in my parents' house with me. Uh-huh. But I was like, I'm one of those people that I have to deliver any kind of news in person. Like yeah. I, I can never send an email or a text or a call or whatever. I'm the total opposite. I had to do it on the phone. <laughs> I couldn't do it in person. I, I should have done it over the phone, but I wanted to just be like, okay, let's do this in person. And I remember I had, I have a gay cousin who lives in new Orleans who I'm very close with. And I had seen him a couple months prior and I told him I was going to do that. And he was like, you should not do that. Like, that's not a good idea. It didn't work out for me either. You know, our family, I'm like, I know, I know, but I just need to, again, this kind of like, naive thinking i was just like oh it's all gonna be fine well you did have to do it at some point i mean yeah it had to do it life. i just yeah. wanted to get it over with yeah um and i was like dating a guy at the time so i was like okay this is like this is gonna be the time and so it did not go well it was uh what, what was shouting. the dinner 
was pork tenderloin. <laughs> I knew probably why I've never made one since. I knew um, you were going to remember exactly what it was. Oh, yeah. It was pork tenderloin. Um, I think it was some kind of like mashed potatoes and like peas or something. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I have never made a, ma- a pork tenderloin since. I like uh, I find them revolting. That's probably why because it was what I was eating that night. Um, that's fascinating. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think I, I think I didn't even say I'm gay. I said, oh, I just want to let you know, guys know I'm, I'm dating a guy right now in New York. And it was just like an <sighs> atomic bomb, atomic bomb blew up. Um, wow. It was not fine because my parents are very religious, mm-hmm. very fundamental Christian, voted for Trump, like that whole thing. Like it's like a mm-hmm. whole different world. So um, yeah, it did not go very well. But thankfully, this photographer who was there with me, like the next day she like got my kind of like therapy download of what had happened. I feel so sorry for this woman. Cause she, yeah, I was going to say what, what she, did no she, idea. she didn't know you were going to do this. I no, can't. she had no idea what she was signing up for. And she was not the like kind of warm, tell me your feelings type either. So she was like extremely awkward. We were talking in the fish shack that's where we were. Uh, the next night we had dinner. Yeah. The story we were working on was out in the like boonies and so the only place to eat afterwards was the fish shack. And I was like, God, I take you. Do you think that you used her as a buffer in a way? Like, do you think that her being there helped you feel mm. comfortable? Because you knew she was going to be a witness or like that your family couldn't do anything too crazy. Well, not necessarily her. I think I knew that because I was going there for work and that I would be gone all day and was yeah. just staying with them at night, that right. I would have something else to keep my mind occupied should things go south. So but still, very, that takes a lot of chutzpah to, to like yeah. come out to your family in front of somebody that you work with. Well, she wasn't sitting. Oh, there. oh, sorry, oh, yeah. sorry, sorry. Oh, okay, okay, sorry. I oh thought God, she I was at the table with no, you, no. and you were like, oh "Mom God. and Dad, I'm gay," and she was just like spitting out her drink. Okay, so that's not what happened. I would have died if she had been there. Oh my God, that'd been the best thing. <laughs> okay, I totally misunderstood. I would to the poor woman. So she wasn't physically at the table. No, no, okay, no, no. she was. Got I don't it. know where she was, but she was not there. Thank God. Yeah. Um, but she got my download the next night. Got it. <laughs> okay. That makes so much more sense. He was like, wow. Uh, um, yeah. Wow. Okay. So, huh. So that was wild. Yeah. And then, um, but then we left and, you know, that all that stuff happened. But uh, well, I think we got to this because I was asking about your parents and where oh, you yeah, came yeah. from. And you said your dad's a math teacher, but you didn't say what your mom, kind of teacher your mom was. She taught fourth grade. Fourth grade. For okay. like 35 years. So, so both like, your parents were like structured, <clears throat> religious and stuff. Oh, yeah. But with you, I mean, I imagine moving to New York yeah. and becoming a food writer. Like, yeah. were you able to break free of some of the strictures? And like, did, do you ever, did you ever like let your hair down and like have wild? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But was that hard for you at first or did? Um, yeah. And like a lot of people, a lot of people who I'm friends with, who are my first friends there, they will make jokes about um, white undershirt, Ben, because I used to like wear white undershirts with like polo shirts on sure, top of them. that's very Southern. Oh my God. I, I went to Emory, so I saw oh, yes. a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> sure. so I, I rocked that look for like the first two years I was there. And yeah. then it's also funny because like after I came out, I was like, oh yeah, I don't have to like dress like this and be like this. Like my wardrobe like took a turn. <laughs> of like, course. As all young gays do. Oh yeah. I just saw a picture of Craig and I when we were like first dating <laughs> and, we, and, I, and Craig was wearing like this horrible like orange <laughs> t-shirt with like a brown jacket for like, at a fancy restaurant. And oh I'm, my like, God. Like what was he doing? <laughs> and I was wearing this like hideously ugly shirt too. And he wrote, I and, I, we were, and somebody texted it to us and Craig was like, I'm so glad that I helped Adam's fashion sense get better. And I was like, oh, excuse wow. me. And I was like, I think I helped your fashion sense get better. <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. So it's interesting. So I mean, I think like, 
like it's in, I mean your lunch itself today was it was a burger yes so I don't yeah. necessarily see the connections um, to mm. like the actual meal but I do yeah. see a connection between your lifestyle yeah. of like being regimented and being you know having this profession where you're measuring yeah. things and yeah. you know, scheduling your day yeah um, and then your background so I think it ties yeah. in that way well and the way I ate the burger which I'm it's funny now thinking about it because every time. Jay and I eat together, especially like burgers. We notice it because we always share fries is that I have to eat my whole burger first mm. and then I'll start eating fries. Oh, this is fascinating. I'm but so glad he, I pushed this. He yeah. does vice versa. So he like, eats fries for like 10 minutes and then he'll start eating his burger and I'm done. I'm just like, what are you doing? You're both certifiable. I, know. I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> and so Why can't you take a couple of bites of the burger and take a couple of bites of the fries? I mean, sometimes I will, but I like to just like enjoy the full burger first and then kind of like finish with fries but don't and you so, want to break up the experience a little? Is this the same thing with the sweet and the savory? Is I don't, maybe, I don't know, but, um, <laughs> but it always becomes not an issue, but kind of like, okay, don't eat too many of the fries. Cause then like, I'm not going to have my half left yeah. over. So it becomes like a stupid, are you thing. a little OCD with things? Um, yeah, I guess. Do you like, like, label, like label everything in the kitchen? Do you put everything away when you're done cooking in the exact same spot? Do you um, wash your hands, you know, 50 oh, times a day? So, uh, yes to the first thing, labeling. No, not really to the putting everything away, because I could lie to you right now, but I know Jay listen to this and he'll call me out on it, but <laughs> I don't put everything away perfectly neat all the time. I put it away where I know where it is, mm-hmm. but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's neat or put away in a way that other people would agree with. Okay. Um, and then I do, I wash my hands. I think I'm a super germ freak about that. Like yeah. My hand, like hands are falling apart all the time because I wash them like, boiling hot water at least seven or eight times while I'm cooking. I so. think you might have OCD. I know. <laughs> wow. This has actually turned into a real therapy That's session. True. I never I'll refer this. you to one of my colleagues yeah. who will actually, I've never been to therapy. So you're my first, real oh that's all i do is go to therapy (laughs) it's very good i want to go i just have never taken the leap to like find someone and do that whole thing i think the sooner you do it the better personally because i think it's like you know it it alleviates a lot of the things in your life that you're not even aware Mm, of yeah that you that will just make you happier makes sense yeah um i mean i don't mind you know proselytize but this is lunch therapy (laughs) that's true so ben we're nearing the end of the podcast it always begins with what did you have for lunch but it always ends with what are you going to have tonight for dinner Ooh, and I always know whether like a friend has listened to my podcast when they're on my podcast because mm. if they're really genuinely surprised by the last question, yeah, it means they haven't fully listened oh. to a full episode. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you caught me. I'm sorry. Um, it's okay. I don't listen to it either. I just record it yeah, and you post it. Do oh my god. Yeah. Um, I don't know what we're gonna have for dinner, but I know that we're probably gonna go to a new cocktail bar in the neighborhood called Pinkies Ooh. and have drinks. Where's that? It is. You know where Atrium is? Yeah. Oh, is that the new it's like the secret new bar? bar? Oh to that uh, it's connected to them because maybe a couple weeks ago uh we tested or no we ran it last week a cocktail from them okay that has like an insane amount of ingredients like brown butter washed scotch okay banana liqueur pims <clears throat> like maple syrup apple juice lemon juice all stuff and it sounded like it was going to be disgusting especially like for gross. you with a mixture of sweet and savory exactly yeah um but i we tested it and we drank and we drank it and it was one of the best things i ever had and it's one of their cocktails so oh, cool. we're probably gonna go have it in the flesh um and probably have dinner there i guess at pinkies they have food at, there i think they have food there so if it's not there 
I don't know what I mean. I've had, now had cheese on toast, and I've had a burger for lunch. But do you and keep fries. tabs in that way in your head? I do because, like, I wanna. I don't. I'm not trying to be like crazy about it, but I try to eat something green every day yeah, just to like be somewhat healthy. So I'm As somebody who's like tested 13 cookies exactly. seven times each. I mean, oh my you, God. we're not like thinking that you're, you know, <laughs> not a hedonist. Yeah, yeah, so I gotta have something green. So and thankfully, Jay eats a lot of vegetables, and like, he's not a huge meat eater. So we're always down to just like eat the vegetable on a menu. Mm-hmm. We don't have to like have the weird seafood thing or the meat thing. We can just eat salad and vegetables and like both be happy. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's like that, but so I, it's good. Um, so we'll probably have some kind of roasted green thing and a cocktail. Yeah. Um, well, I feel like I'd be, um, I don't know when I'm going to air this podcast. It might be in two weeks. I, let me just okay. see when I'm airing it because if I'm airing it before Christmas, I feel like it would be appropriate um, oh no, I'm airing this after Christmas. Yeah. yeah, yeah after, okay. Yeah. But you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Tell us like of all the cookies that you tested for your cookie mm. Christmas cookies, which were the ones that like you think people should make even after the holidays that aren't just Christmas cookies. Well, I would say like I have my favorites, but I think the one that people like the most, uh, at least so far is the Zatar wedding cookies. Oh, tell us. Um, so I call them wedding cookies. A lot of people, apparently no one else does. Wait, that's a mixture of sweet and savory. Zatar is sa- savory and wedding well, cookies are I, sweet. Not necessarily my favorite one. It's uh. just the one that everyone else loves. Um, <coughs> okay. And it, it does walk the line in a way that I don't mind because, um, so it's like a crumbly, it's literally just butter, flour, there's no egg, um, barely any sugar in it. And then uh, you, I put Zatar in it, ground Zatar, but then I put a ton of toasted sesame seeds in mm. it too. And then it's when you bake it for a long time, get it really dried out, and then you toss it in the uh, powdered sugar twice. Once when it first comes out, so it kind of gets that congealed coating of sweetness on the outside. And then once it cools, do it again. So it has like, oh. a fluffy powdered sugar. Um, and the powdered sugar has the tar in it as well. I think people just like liked that combination. That does sound really good. It sounds and like it, a good canvas for yeah. the tar. Yeah. And people, I think that it's it, it can look holiday if you say it is. Mm-hmm. Because it's like powdered sugar and snowy. But also... It just is a great cookie the rest of the time. So I forgot to ask you how you come up with your recipes. Um, well, these specific, do you want the, the cookies or just recipes in general? In general, but in you general, can also add, say for the cookies. I mean, they, they're all from some kind of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it'll be okay. What did I have recently that I really loved? Whether it's a restaurant meal or just a bite of food that I had uh, over at someone's house and be like, oh yeah, this is like a great idea. I just wrote a piece. I think it's coming out. Um, on Saturday about like a quince tart that I had that was um, inspired because I had an apple one in Normandy with Rebecca Uh and I didn't understand French and they were speaking only in French the whole time. Uh And while Rebecca was translating, she kind of told me, said something like, Oh, she said you can also make it with quince. And I was like, Ooh, that's a great idea. But then she clarified and the woman was like, Oh no, never like only apples. But I was like, well now I want to make that because I like quince more. And so I made a quince version of that apple tart, like really simple. Maybe so. maybe there's something with authority, like defying authority with you, because mm, this authority figure told you you can't do it, and you wanted to do it. Yeah, she was oh, like, wow. no, "Never, you should never do that." I'm like, "Well, I'm gonna do it because I know better, and I also what I know it yeah. tastes good." So it's like, yeah, what a good psychological note to end on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Ben's rebellious quince tart, which the everyone should rebel. Yeah. yeah, and we should find it in the L.A. Times, right? Yep. L.A. Times Food, which is a I beautiful section. I was also Thank in you. print every week. Uh, food is in print every Thursday. And then we also, Genevieve and I share a column on Saturdays called the Saturday cook, which is where okay. that will run, which is all about seasonal produce and cooking with that. And if people so. aren't subscribers to the LA times, can they see these recipes or they have to pay to get past I think the you one? get like four 
um, views or some or recipes or something okay. a month before the firewall hits you. It's only like 99 cents yeah, though, yeah. for the first I month. Pay for so, it. Yeah, Here, I'll give everyone my password. Yes. It is. I'm just kidding. No, no, don't. No, no. Yeah, everyone should pay because that's what pays Ben's salary. Yes, please. I'm thank happy you. to pay thank for you it. Thank you very much. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, Ben, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh, yes, this is a pleasure. All right. I'll yeah. see you soon. Bye.